The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine. And we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept. And one we will explore today on The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona. It's absolutely gorgeous here. A little warm, um, but tolerable. Um, If you haven't already done it, go to the Self-Improvement blog. There you'll find a, a picture of today's guest. You can read his bio. Be sure to read to watch the video at the bottom of the page. It's so good, so well done, and so compelling. I really urge you to do that. Not now, maybe after the show, um, but be sure you do that. There's also a picture of our guest book, and you can order it right there from Amazon. No, I don't make money from it. I just think it's a really good read. Um, Science is now demonstrating that just as we inherit our eye color and our blood type, we also inherit the residue from traumatic events that have taken place in our family, way back to grandparents. While our physical traits are still discernible, this emotional legacy is often hidden from us. As I was reading our guest book, I thought of something from my own life that might demonstrate this, and I hadn't thought about this in this way ever. In fact, I hardly remember it. I always wanted to travel, and a number of times I had an opportunity to take a cruise. But in each instance, I decided not to go. I had a number of reasons, or I guess I could really more accurately call them excuses. It was too expensive. It was not the right cruise for me. It wasn't a convenient time for me to go. I kept finding reasons not to. When I read Mark's book, I recalled a story about my paternal grandmother. She came from Finland with my father when he was a tiny baby. This was way back in the early 1900s. The ship encountered some serious event. I don't know exactly what, bad weather, icebergs. I'm really not sure, but I remember hearing about it as a child. The story is that she was so frightened by the near catastrophe that her brown hair turned white during that voyage, and, and she had the whitest hair of any human I've ever seen. I don't know whether my reluctance to cruise came from hearing this story or perhaps it was stored in my DNA, but it certainly rang a bell within me when I read this book. Uh, The book is It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle, and you guessed it, we're going to talk about that today. Our guest, Mark Wolin, is director of the Family Constellation Institute in San Francisco. He's a leading expert in the field of inherited family trauma. A sought-after lecturer, he has taught at the University of Pittsburgh, the Western Psychiatric Institute, Kripalu, the Omega Institute, the New York Open Center, and the California Institute of Integral Studies. That's like a who's who list right there. 
He specializes in working with people with depression, anxiety, obsessive thoughts, and other persistent symptoms and conditions. His book, It Didn't Start With You, is the winner of the 2016 Nautilus Book Award in Psychology. It's really a compelling read. His articles have appeared in Psychology Today, Mind Body Green, MariaShriver.com, Elephant Journal, and Psych Central. And his poetry has been published in The New Yorker. And I am absolutely delighted and honored to welcome Mark Wolin to the Self-Improvement Show. Mark, welcome. Irene, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. Well, I'm excited about this, too, because I don't think we've... Well, I know we haven't had a guest who talked about this subject. And and it isn't one that has really penetrated my mind, but I'm glad that we can introduce it today because I think a lot of people are going to learn about some of their funny little quirks from what you have to say. But let's start at the beginning. Tell us about yourself. Who is Mark Wolin? Well, I guess I'm the person who explains um, how to look into those mysteries that we all live with, uh, the mm-hmm. unexplained fears, uh, the anxieties that strike suddenly after a certain event, um, that depression that we never get to the bottom of. We may have the symptoms, but they may not be ours. Like the, the title of the book, It Didn't Start With You, these symptoms are often residues of traumas in our family history that, that we have biologically inherited from our parents and even as far back as you said, grandparents. Um, I'm also a poet um, and I'm also a musician. Uh, wow. I, but my, my mission is to turn on the lights and help people see that it may not have started with us. Let's turn on the lights. Let's just let you tell your story. You can take as much time as you need. You know, if we go past break time, I'll interrupt you. But tell us your story because it is such a powerful story to demonstrate what this is all about. I'm going to be quiet now and just let you talk. Okay. So like, I don't like, usually do that either. <laughs> <laughs> like many of us, I had symptoms that I couldn't explain. Here I was um, uh, in my early 30s, and it's about 26 years ago, and I'm diagnosed with this chronic form of retinopathy, and I lose the vision in one of my eyes, and the doctors couldn't cure it. And they, they told me the way it was progressing that I would likely lose the vision in the other eye, too. And as you can imagine, I'm, I'm pretty desperate because um, uh, I... I, I don't know what to do. Western medicine is offering me no avenue here. And so I, I go on a search for healing. I don't know how much vision I have left. I don't know how long my vision's going to last in that one eye. But this search literally leads me halfway around the globe um, as, as far as Indonesia, where I'm learning from some very, uh, very wise spiritual teachers who taught me some fundamental principles that we don't learn in school, and I wish we did learn in school, one of which was the importance of healing our relationship with our parents. And so here I am told by this, this spiritual teacher when he could, um, uh, the, the, the long story, <clears throat> which I'm making one sentence, is I'm waiting all day in line to have a meeting with a spiritual teacher. And when I get to the very front of the line, 
I think he's going to tell me what a great meditator I am because I've been for several <laughs> years now studying meditation, and of course I'm only moments away from enlightenment. That's a joke. Um, but I stand in front of this guy, and he looks right at me, and I guess I should say he looks right through me, and he could see what I couldn't see, how broken I was inside, and he told me, go home and heal your relationship with your parents. And Before I could do that, um, I had to heal what stood in the way, which was inherited family trauma, but I didn't know it at the time. But specifically, the anxiety that I had inherited from my grandparents, who were all orphaned in some way. Three of them lost their mothers when they were babies. And the fourth one lost her dad when she was one, so basically she loses her mother, her mother's attunement, also because her mother would have been grieving. And this anxiety, this terror that rippled through my body, this shuddering and shaking when I would get close to people, this anxiety, this was the real cause of my vision loss. I had inherited a feeling of being broken from a mother's love. And this was what passed down in my family. Uh, you know, I remember uh, I'm a small boy, maybe five or six years old, and I'd be panicked whenever my mom would leave the house. I'd run into her room. I'd pull open her drawers. I'd, I'd, I'd cry into her scarves and her nightgowns, um, thinking that I'd never see her again, that her smell wow. would be the only thing that I had left. Because if my grandparents were orphans, if they lost their mothers, that was the only thing they had left, the smell of their mother's scent in, in her clothes. Um, <clears throat> Forty years later, I shared that with my mother. I said, you know, Mom, I used to cry into your clothes when you'd leave the house. And she looked at me and said, oh, I did the same thing when my mother left the house. <clears throat> and then my sister, wow. reading the book, she, she said to me the same thing. She said, honey... I just read your book. I did that, too, when Mom would leave the house. I cried into her clothes. And then I realized in that moment it was a family pattern, just like your cruise ship, going on that cruise and realizing there's an unexplained, unconscious fear that something terrible will happen. And then we have that normal excuse like, oh, the time isn't right. Um, the same thing <laughs> yeah. existed in my family. Um, so... Uh, the long story short, I go home, heal my relationship with my parents, heal the broken bond with my mother. And the strangest thing happened. My vision came back. My sight came back. And, wow. and afterwards, I said, uh-oh, there's something to this. And I felt compelled to share the principles that I had learned. And along the way, I ultimately developed a method for healing the effects of inherited family trauma. How did you know to look there? I, I, were you already f finished with your uh, education as a, um, yes, a therapist? Yes. So here I am working with all these cases that, that could not be explained in the context of the client's life experiences. You know, they, they carried trauma but they didn't experience that trauma directly, and I was wondering where it came from. I'm going to tell you a story that's not in the book, and it's um, the first case that really turned the lights on for me. And this is 20-some years ago. I was working with this cutter, and, you know, she cut very deeply into her skin in a way I'd not seen before. 
you know, I'd worked with many self-injurers and many cutters, but this particular woman would cut so deeply she would nearly bleed to death, and she'd have to be rushed to the hospital. And, and so I, um, that was interesting, unusual symptom number one. And so I said to her, I'm going to give her the name Sarah just for this interview here, Irene, but that's not okay. her name. I, I, I'm looking into the eyes of Sarah, a 24-year-old woman, and I say, Sarah, when you are ready to make that cut into your arm or your leg or your abdomen, what are you thinking right at that moment? Here, hold this pen like it's the, the blade. And so she holds the pen, and she's just about to bring it to her body, and she comes up with these very strange words. She said, I deserve to die. Wow. Wow. And here I am looking at a 24-year-old whose life has just begun. What could she have possibly done? So I asked her. I said, Sarah, what did you do? Did you hurt somebody? Did you accidentally cause an accident or take somebody's life or break up with somebody who didn't do so well? Or And she said, no, none of that. And Irene, I was flummoxed. I had no idea what to do, so I did what I normally do. I just started to look at a relationship with her parents. Sure, I'd, Surely I'd find the problem there. So back then... I started to ask her about her mom and her dad, and she had a beautiful relationship with both parents. She was able to take in their love, their care, their nurturance, their tenderness. She was able to let herself be cared for. And I said, wow, not there. Let me look at her attachment with her mom. Surely it'll be there. And I found out that there were no issues at birth or during the pregnancy, and she was a, had a very easy labor, and she was loved, and she had a secure attachment with her mother, and here I am without a clue what to do, and thank goodness it crossed my mind to ask her this next question. I said, uh, okay, tell me about your, your grandparents, and she said, oh, and boom, she dropped the bomb. She said, my grandmother, my father's mother, was an alcoholic, and she was driving the car drunk with my grandfather in the passenger seat, and she hit a pole. Well, she lived, but my grandfather went through the window and got cut, lacerated, uh. lacerated on the glass, and he bled to death before the ambulance could arrive. And in that moment, I made two connections and helped her make the two connections, because who, when she cut and almost bleeds to death, She's remembering the grandfather that couldn't be talked about because it's too darn painful. And when she feels that she deserves to die, of course it's not her. It's grandma for taking another's life, um, in fact, taking the life of her beloved. And in that moment, then I knew exactly what was going on, and I knew that I could help Sarah with this cutting by working with the trauma that didn't belong to her. The feelings, which are called identification feelings, that I deserve to die, which aren't her feelings, they're her grandmother's feelings, and that strange behavior of cutting and almost bleeding to death, which belonged to her grandfather. That's a very powerful story. How, did Sarah, how long did it take Sarah then to stop cutting? Not not long at all, Irene. Um, I did two things. I had her put some footprints, what I use when I work with people in a one-on-one session, for her grandmother and her grandfather who were deceased. She never met them. 
They died before she was born. Grandpa, of course, died before she was born. Dad was only 12, and Grandmom died when Dad was 20. And Dad had never forgiven his mother for uh, killing his father. So I did two things. I had her put footprints of the grandparents in the room and tell the truth. Grandpa, I cut myself so deeply. And when I do this, I almost bleed to death. And now I see the connection. And this has nothing to do with me at all. And I've been merely carrying this, this experience, literally acting it out in my body. Grandpa, the next time I, I go to cut, I'm going to think of you blessing me and sending me love and, and find that impulse in my body and breathe it out to you. And she said similar words to her grandmother in the room with those footprints. She said, Grandma, whenever I feel that I deserve to die, I'm going to find that feeling in my body. I'm going to hold it with my hand. I'm going to breathe into it. And I'm going to breathe out those feelings to you because I realize it's not my feeling. Instead, I'm going to see you blessing me um, to be happy and not carry what doesn't belong to me. So we did that. And I said to her, hey, Sarah, for the next session, why don't you bring your dad in? And when her dad came in, I sat her to the side of the office. And I worked with her dad, helped him get into his grief about his dead father and over his rage toward his dead mother and had him open his heart to his parents. And then at the end of the session, he turned toward his daughter and he said to her, from now on, I've got this. You don't have this. I'll take care of you, and I'll carry this. Wow, that is Isn't that, that that's a chill bump yeah. <laughs> story. Um, very that, powerful. And, that, and now, cutting. you know, I want to talk so much more about this. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to get into more about the science that you discovered behind this. This is Irene Conlon with my guest Mark Wolin saying, "Stay tuned." We're going to be back with more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Tuned in to the Self Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the Self Improvement Blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. Our guest today is Mark Wolin, who's written a wonderful book called It Didn't Start With You. We're talking about how trauma in the past of your family, parents, grandparents, can be in your DNA and cause you problems. And we just finished his story and a story about a woman who was doing some serious cutting and how he discovered it. Mark, when when did you realize that th- this was something that you might find in other people that there was really something to this that you needed dis- to discover? Was the science in place then? The, you know, I think they call it epigenetics now. Uh, well, actually, actually, twenty years ago, uh, there wasn't any science that I could really find, um, and, and now. Uh, there's there's science every week. Something is coming out uh, validating this idea of transgenerational or intergenerational healing or into trauma uh, passing forward. Um, the the science now, as it's explained in just about any article you find, is when a trauma happens, um, it, it changes us. Literally, it causes a chemical change in our DNA. Yeah. And, and this changes the way our genes function, sometimes, as we're finding out, for generations. Technically, so a trauma happens, and then there's a chemical reaction or a chemical tag or an information signal, something they call an epigenetic tag. And this attaches to our DNA, and it tells a cell to use or ignore a certain gene based on the trauma that just happened to help us survive better in the future. And then the way the genes are affected will change the way how we act or how we feel. For example, we can become reactive um, to situations that are similar to the original trauma so that we can deal with it better. And then um, these gene changes, uh, as we're now learning, they can be transmitted to our children and our children's children. So I'll give you an example to explain this. Um, If our grandparents, uh, came from a war-torn country, um, and there's, you know, there's bombs and bullets and terror, and um, they're fearful, they would develop an epigenetic reaction, which means a skill set of their DNA telling the cells, use this gene because it'll give us more protection or more awareness. And they would develop a skill set, let's say, of sharper reflexes and quicker reaction times 
to help them survive the trauma, and ultimately they would pass this forward. The, what the survival mechanisms that they developed, they would pass forward. The problem is we can also inherit a stress response with the dials set to 10, and we're prepared for a catastrophe that, that never arrives. And so the continuous stress can be harmful for our bodies the way it was harmful for my eye. Um, <clears throat> science is backing this up in many different ways. They've long suspected something like this was happening, but it wasn't until about 10 years ago, 12 years ago to be exact, that a neuroscientist out of Mount Sinai Medical School in New York named Rachel Yehuda discovered that the children of Holocaust survivors shared the same trauma symptoms of their parents, specifically the low levels of cortisol. That's the, the stress hormone that gets us back to normal after a stressful event. And um, she also finds a similar pattern with the babies who were born to mothers, mothers who were pregnant at or near the World Trade Center when it was attacked during 9-11. So these babies have, they're smaller for their gestational age, and there's, they have 16 different genetic markers than babies who aren't born um, into this trauma. And then last year, she finds this, a year and a half ago, she finds this amazing detail that survivors and their children share the exact same gene changes in the exact same region of the very same gene, the FKBP5 gene, technically, and which this suggests that these traumas are heritable um, and that we're more predisposed to um, have anxiety and depression. In fact, she tells us that you and I are three times more likely to have symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder if one of our parents had PTSD, and as a result, we're likely to struggle with anxiety or depression. Now, that's the information that shows two generations, but work that they're doing with mice and rats can show this pattern for three-plus generations. Um, <clears throat> the reason that we use mice in studies is because mice have 99% of a similar genetic makeup as humans, which means 99% of the genes um, in uh, humans have counterparts in mice, with 80% being identical. So in ones, and also you can get a generation of mice in 12 to 20 weeks, where in humans it would take 12 to 20 years. Right. How can you be sure without looking at, you know, without doing some DNA studies, how can you be sure that the children weren't told the stories? Because they often don't know the stories. That's, Ah, That's the key. In fact... Um, many times when I work with a client, um, the client has no clue that, um, of the story until they go home and ask their parents or uncles or aunts or cousins um, because they'll carry symptoms very similar to a specific trauma. They'll carry what I look for in the book, trauma language, or repetitions. So when, I, when someone reads my book, I teach them how to be a detective of their own trauma language and their own repeating trauma experiences. So not only do we look at what I call core language, trauma language, we look at the 
choices that repeat, the choices we repeatedly make, the behaviors that show up after in a specific event, the anxieties or depressions that show up following some type of event, the potholes that we continually step into. Um, let, let me continue with this interesting study with mice because mice don't have parents who tell them about <laughs> yeah. No uh, stories. So there's this one study that was just done a couple years ago at Emory Medical School in Atlanta where male mice were made to fear a cherry blossom-like scent, and then they were shocked. So every time they smelled the smell, they were shocked with an electric shock, and after a while, they developed epigenetic changes. So they had enlarged areas in their brain for greater a greater amount of smell receptors so they could detect the scent at lesser concentrations and, and thereby protect themselves. Their, their brains had epigenetically adapted to protect them. So they take the sperm from these male mice and they put the sperm into females who were not shocked. And what they found in the second and third generation was stunning. The, the pups and the grandpups became jumpy and jittery and freaking out, really, when they smelled the smell of cherry blossoms. They had inherited the stress response without directly experiencing the trauma. And, of course, they weren't told about the trauma either. How many generations do they know yet? How many generations this continues? Well, the research is showing that, um, that, that, that the effects of trauma can be transmitted for three generations in mice um, and, and rats. But I just saw something 14 generations in, 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 in worms, which was very interesting. Um, there's a, a woman named Isabel Monsu at the Brain Research Institute of Zurich, and she found that male mice that were separated from their mothers, and I'm not talking about a lot of separation, I'm talking about two to three hours a day during the first two weeks of life. That was it. And afterwards, these mice exhibited symptoms that we would call depression in humans, and the symptoms seemed to worsen as the mice aged in fact, um, the mice, um, what was the most interesting is some of the male mice didn't exhibit the behaviors themselves, but appeared to epigenetically transmit the behaviors to their female offspring, which was uncanny. And then they found that the pups in the second generation, they had the depression, and the pups in the third generation, they had the depre- depression, but without ever experiencing the, the trauma themselves. Right? They just, this is just generationally inherited trauma. But here's the interesting note that tells that the researchers that maybe it's only three generations. The researchers found abnormally high numbers of microRNA. That's a genetic material that regulates gene expression in the blood and the brain. And so they could find it in the first generation. They could find it in the second generation. But although the mice in the third generation also had the same symptoms, they didn't have the elevated numbers of microRNAs in their brain. And this led the researchers to speculate that the, the behavioral effects of trauma can express for three generations, but maybe not beyond that. Oh, you just brought up so many questions. Is it only <laughs> transmitted from the male on down? Or, you know, oh, if they no. traumatize the female, would it pass down the same way? Yeah, they have done studies that way, too. Um, and it's uh, male or female. Now, the interesting thing about males and females is um, we 
Okay. Women, the egg line, the cell line stops dividing. When the woman, when the woman is a fetus, at five months old, in our mother's belly. So, for example, a female um, with... Oh, it's confusing. Let me do the math again. Um, <laughs> we, we are in our mother's belly when she's five months a fetus in grandmother's belly. You get that? One of the eggs that will be us because the, the cell line stops dividing, oh, is already okay. in our mother's womb when she's a fetus in our grandmother's womb. So, wow. So you could say, and embryologists, they've known this for 100 years, you could say that, that three generations right there share the same environmental experience, the same biological environment. And we know from the work of Bruce Lipton that the mother's emotions get communicated through the blood-borne barrier, through the placenta, to the fetus. Absolutely. So her feelings of fear and terror and stress um, uh, alter the gene expression of her baby. So we can look at this many different ways. Epigenetics is just one piece of the puzzle. Wow. Yeah. When when we have major traumas like the trauma in the Holocaust or 9/11 when both the male and the female are affected how powerful is that do they get do you get a double whammy if both your parents have been in the same trauma We can and so it's it's key because yes we can carry oh that's a great question because I find that each sibling carries a different aspect of the uh, trauma or not the trauma of a different trauma. So we, me, the first boy, I might carry aspects of my father's trauma. The first girl might carry aspects of her mother's trauma. The third child, boy or girl, might carry an aspect of the same trauma or a different trauma or a grandparent's trauma and so on. Not each child carries, I find, I experience, carries the exact same trauma, but they may be influenced by the same trauma and carry different aspects of it, different sides of it. So I always tell parents, I always tell everybody really, um, grieve fully and talk about, do your own inner work and talk about the traumas that happen in your family with your children because we can find ourselves suffering similarly or developing symptoms that limit our lives often when we reach the same age of the family member who suffered or, or experience a similar type trauma of the trauma that existed one or two generations ago. I'll give you an example. I, I once worked with this guy, and he had Holocaust trauma, and he knew about it. He knew all about the trauma but he had never connected it to his panic attacks. His panic attacks were so severe that he would black out whenever he'd leave his home and go somewhere new. He could not go to a new restaurant. He could not go to a new town. He could not go on an airplane. He couldn't even go to the neighborhood next door. And I kept hearing him say, I can't go anywhere new. I can't go anywhere new. And then he told me that 74 members of his family died in the Holocaust, at which point I said to him, you mean they were literally forced out of their homes 
and taken somewhere new, like a concentration camp where they were systematically murdered. And he said, oh, and he made the connection. Yeah. That his not being able to go anywhere new and leave his home was connected to all the people that were forcibly driven out of their homes and killed. You know, that my thought goes to how many people were involved in that kind of trauma during the Second World War and, and some of the you know, wars after you know, held great trauma. We had 9-11, which was incredibly traumatic to many people, not just those in the tower. The, the societal impact of that must be really great. And you see you see society changing in terms of drug abuse and alcoholism. I don't know that it's more. It just seems like there's a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. Am I way off base in no, making that not. connection? No. no, that's exactly right. Uh, a lot of times what a trauma will do is it'll break a, the bond between parents and their children because parents will be stressed out. So yeah. wartime babies suffer and wartime parents can't give what they would like to be able to give. And, you know, in the book I talk about lots of different traumas in lots of different countries, everything from the partition in India and Pakistan to the effects of the genocide in Rwanda and Cambodia, and um, it just gets worse. I mean, as you can imagine, with all the wars and even the conflicts that we have now in Syria and the Mideast and our country, etc., um, the effects of trauma continue. And, that's and yeah, on that note, we need to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we can do about it. Yes. This is Irene Conlon with my guest Mark Wolin saying stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Get inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. Our guest today is Mark Wolin, who's written just a really great book called It Didn't Start With You, 
talking about inherited family trauma. Mark, tell people how they can find you and where they can find your book. Uh, they can find me on my website and through Facebook, Mark, M-A-R-K-W-O-L-Y-N-N. That's W-O-L-Y-N-N dot com. Uh, they can find my book on Amazon um, it's, uh, and, every, and Barnes & Noble and everywhere else. Um, it's published by Penguin. Um, the hardback came out on Viking, and uh, the soft cover is now on Penguin. And if you forget all that, go to the Self-Improvement blog. It's there. There's a link to Amazon with the book, and you can read about Mark there. And I really encourage you to do that and watch that video on the blog because it is so good. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit more about this business of inherited family trauma. How would you know? What are the signs people look for to tell them that they may have inherited some of the family trauma? So, uh, you know, I've discovered there, there are definitely some telltale signs. Um, now, we may be born with a feeling or a fear or an anxiety or a depression our whole lives, and, and that is possible. But what I've discovered is we might also experience a sudden fear or an, a sudden anxiety or a sudden symptom that strikes unexpectedly whenever we reach a certain age or hit a certain milestone or experience a certain event, and it's as though there's an ancestral alarm clock that starts ringing inside of us. Um, for example, we go to get married, and all of a sudden we sink into a depression, or we have a child and have postpartum depression, or we re- get rejected by a partner, and all of a sudden it leads us back to when we were abandoned as a child or when our mom or dad was abandoned when they were young, or we moved to a new place, and you know, just like that guy I mentioned um, who can't leave his home, just the moving to a new place can bring up historical trauma of being out- ousted, um, from our home, our homeland. Um, I once worked with this woman. Um, she was, had normal anxiety like the rest of us, but nothing too great until she became pregnant. And as soon as she became pregnant, she was consumed with anxiety. And she showed up in my office with this terror and this anxiety, and we had to sort of dig around a little bit to see what was the main feeling inside that anxiety. And asking questions in the book, she said, oh, I'm afraid that I'll harm my new baby. And so I asked her the obvious question, had you ever harmed a baby? She said, no. And I said, had, you ever, had anyone in the family ever harmed a baby? And she said, she was about to say no. She went, N-, and then she said, oh, my goodness. And she remembered a story about her grandmother who was a new mother, and she was down in the kitchen lighting a candle, and the candle caught the curtains on fire, and the curtains, curtains and the house caught on fire, the walls, the um, whole house, and she couldn't get her baby out of the upstairs, and the baby died. And then the woman added, but we were never allowed to talk about it. Wow. And in that moment, she made the connection that she was carrying her grandmother's terror of harming that baby by lighting that candle, and then I could work with her. And then we knew what it was. We could find the root. Irene, 
the main thing is many of us know the stories in our families, but we never think to make the link. No, no. Let me ask you this. Do we inherit the good stuff, too? Is that in our DNA? If we had you know, a grandparent or a parent who just had a wonderful experience, do, do we get any of that elation? I'm sure we do, but there are positive effects of the resilience that we inherit from the traumas. So, resilience. Yeah, some of us are resilient, and we've, we've yeah. inherited that sort of genetic, epigenetic resilience from the expression of the gene changes. When you identify that someone may be experiencing this, is there a certain protocol you follow? How does what you do differ from someone who is not in tune with, with this inheritance, with other okay. therapists? These are biologically inherited traumas, so it's a pretty new field. What I do is I help people uncover their trauma language so that the information, everything we need to know is in our trauma language. It's in the symptoms that show up after a specific event. It's in the traumas and the behaviors and the destructive choices that repeat in our lives. It's in the potholes that continue to we, that we continue to step in, whether we know the information or not from our family. It's in us, and it gives us. I, I like to say the trauma is not only encrypted in our unconscious words; it lives in our symptoms, in our repeated life choices, in our unexplained behaviors. But it's there. Now, once we've made the link, once we've linked what happened, what we're carrying to what happened in our family or in our childhood, um, then we've got to have a new experience to change the brain. Because if we think about our brains, we have brains that are heavily oriented toward what's negative. Uh, The evolutionary biologists call it a negativity bias. But we have very developed midbrains, which is the amygdala, the limbic system, um, the part of the brain that keeps us entrenched in trauma. Um, and we need to get out of the trauma brain, so to speak, and get into other parts of the brain that allow us to heal, um, specifically the prefrontal cortex, where we can integrate now the new understanding, integrate the new knowledge, integrate the new experience so we can heal. And here's, here's what that looks like. So some people... Um, come to me with very little feelings of comfort or support. And if you know, you know from reading my book, it's all about helping people find support when there was none. Or right. comfort when we didn't feel any. Um, like my own story, right? As a child, if I have breaks in the bonds with my parents, um, there's not much comfort I'm receiving. But when I healed the relationship, um, even if I did it in my imagination, I did it in real life. But even if we do it, because science tells us It doesn't matter where the healing comes from. In fact, the same neurons and regions of the brain activate whether we're visualizing our healing experience or actually living it. So we can even visualize comfort and support. So what I teach people to do is to um, have a new experience of comfort, support, uh, compassion, gratitude, Loving kindness, generosity, I mean, I can go on and on giving you the list of positive feeling states, but mainly comfort and support, I find, ultimately anything 
that allows us to feel strength and peace inside. And then once we have this new feeling inside, we've got to practice it. Um, we've got to, the idea is to steal traction, steal traction away from that highly efficient trauma cycle, that midbrain that keeps us suffering, and engage uh, other areas of the brain. Like I said, the prefrontal cortex, where we can integrate this new experience, and then our brains can change. And this is what I spend the whole last third of my book teaching: how to do this in a new way, so that new neural pathways get laid down in the brain, and we can heal. Basically, what we do is, is we revisit the feelings and the sensations that are associated with this new experience. And when we do that, not only do we um, do parts of our brain start operating in new ways, in other words, neuronal structures in the brain begin to wire together, that's, that's one thing that can happen, but we also stimulate the release of feel-good neurotransmitters like serotonin, uh, dopamine, um, or, or the, we stimulate the release of feel-good hormones like oxytocin or estrogen, uh, or even the way our genes express. This can be affected, and the genes involved in the, the body's uh, uh, inflammation response or the body's stress response can begin to function in a new and improved way. In fact, um, there's a mindfulness study, there's several mindfulness studies, but one of them I mention in my book um, that only after eight hours of mindfulness, which was a feeling of peace inside, a feeling of self-support, that the um, meditators already had gene changes in the inflammation oh. gene of the stress response, that, that there were, the, the, infl- the, the stress responses found in inflammation were now changed in a different way. So it's that question, have a new experience, install that new experience, and then ask questions like, what am I noticing right now in my body? What sensation is inside? And if I just stay with the sensation without becoming overwhelmed with it, what eventually starts to happen in me? So the woman who was afraid, who had the fears after she had the baby, could do some, some work with the original trauma, Exactly. And so change her own neural... She, she realized that that trauma was not her trauma. It was her grandmother's trauma. She was merely carrying it. So again, I had her in the office since grandma had passed away. I had her in the office with a pair of footprints for her grandmother. And I had her look at her grandmother, close her eyes, and really see her grandmother there. And say to her grandmother, Grandma, tell her the truth. I've been suffering ever since I've been pregnant with this feeling that I'm going to harm my baby, and it was never as me. It, it, it was never me. It's you, Grandma, that accidentally harmed your baby, and here I am carrying this feeling. So every time I feel this anxiety, I'm going to locate it in my body with my hands. That's an, the new experience, Irene. I'm going to locate this anxiety with my hands and my breath and my awareness, and I'm going to breathe down into it, and hold myself there with my hands and breath until I feel a feeling of calm or feel a feeling of being held or feeling safe. And I'm going to breathe out the anxiety to you, Grandma, because it was never mine in the first place. And I'm going to hold that part of my body and with my breath and my hands until I feel calm, until I feel safe. And then I'm going to stay with those new feelings of calm and safe every time I have that anxiety. 
and very quickly she was able to overcome the anxiety and had a healthy baby and did really well. Are other therapists beginning to learn about this? And uh, said, that's, that's why I wrote the book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote okay. the book not just to provide help for people who struggle with the effects of inherited family trauma and didn't know where to turn, which is true. I also wrote this book because I wanted to generate awareness in the therapeutic community about the impact of epigenetics. Look, now we've got the science, and now with this book we've got the tools. I'd like to see this field grow so practices like the ones I give in the book can become standard and clinicians have the tools they need. I told you this on break, but I was doing a um, uh, teaching last night, mentoring some of my students, and I I took on a student who never studied with me but just read the book and was doing the practices in the book, and she was one of the top students because uh, she was able to, just from reading the book, practice the tools, and that was my intention. Mark, I hate to say this, but we are right at the end of the show. Oh. What's, uh, what's the thought you'd like to leave with our listeners today? Depends how much time. <laughs> we have about a minute. Okay. First of all, you know, if you struggle or the family, you, your kids struggle, shake the family tree and see what falls out. Uh, what family secrets uh, have, have, have never, you know, have been hidden. What stories didn't get told. What traumas never healed all the way. Um, that's number one. Number two, talk about the traumas in the family. Do your own personal work. Try to work through them so it doesn't get passed down to your children. And thirdly, um, practice the experiences in the book that will give you a new experience to change your brain. That's important. You know, I always like to say um, biological inheritance. Yep, it's a reality, but it doesn't have to be your destiny. Absolutely. I, I think you just opened up something that can help so many people, especially those who have, you know, anxiety attacks and fears and phobias that they can't explain, um, and and some people can't seem to respond to help, and and now maybe there is help for them. Mark, thank you so so much for being with us today. I, I you know. Hope everybody gets your book, and especially those who are dealing with symptoms that they simply can't explain and nobody's been able to help them with. I I really wish you well. I hope this book goes like wildfire and becomes viral. Well, thank you so much, Irene. So lovely to be on the show with you. It was wonderful having you, um, and in behalf of you and myself, I thank the listeners for being with us today, and I invite you all to come back again next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you, and have a really great day. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.